Good morning, everybody. We are going through the book of Revelation, and we are covering the seven churches right now. We looked at the church in Ephesus last week, and this week we are looking at the church in Smyrna. I've entitled our message this morning, Suffering Has a Shelf Life. So I think it's good news. Suffering has a shelf life. So let me read to you Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. A couple of scriptures guide us in our message this morning. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 to 11. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty. But you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for ten days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone who, with ears to hear, must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. So let's first of all look at the church in Smyrna and uh, just give you a couple of thoughts around what the church was going through in that city. Now, We looked at the city in Ephesus last week, and they focused a lot on wealth. But in this city, they had built a temple in honor of Tiberius Caesar. And so the imperial cult was a huge focus in this city. And in fact, in the city, they made it mandatory for every citizen to worship the emperor. And so the church was going through that sort of a pressure and being persecuted for not bowing down in worship to the emperor. The other thing that we see the church in Smyrna going through is the illegal, they were seen as an illegal gathering. Now, according to Roman law, the Romans allowed religion to continue as long as you practice your religion where it originated from. So if if it originated from a certain area or a country where the Romans had taken over, they would allow that religion to be practiced in that country or in that city. But you couldn't practice that religion outside of where it originated from. And that was the difficulty Christians were uh, having outside of Israel. It was illegal for Christianity, actually, to function outside Israel Because as far as the Roman authorities were concerned, it originated from Israel. So the only way they practiced it was Judaism was tolerated by the Roman Empire. That was the only religion that was tolerated everywhere because the Jews were everywhere. And so it was tolerated. And so Christianity practiced under the radar as a sect of Judaism. But in Smyrna, the Jewish religious authorities were dead against Christianity and so exposed them 
and required authority to treat them as illegal activity. And they did not come under their synagogue. And so they couldn't really practice outside the synagogue. And so they were persecuted. And so this is what the church was experiencing in Smyrna. Christians were actively persecuted by society for their unwillingness to worship the emperor. And they were also hounded by the law with the threat of imprisonment due to the constant provocation from Jewish religious leaders. So that was what they were going through. And as you look at the seven churches, Smyrna is only one of the two churches that does not receive criticism from Jesus. The other church is Philadelphia. But Smyrna, Jesus gives them a commendation. There is no criticism for this church, but there is a call to action throughout what Jesus says. And this was the commendation to the church in Smyrna. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. So Jesus was saying to them, you may feel that you are impoverished. You may feel the way they are treating you, that you are nothing and you are like garbage. But I'm telling you, in my eyes, you are wealthy. I see great wealth in you as a people. And so Jesus was encouraging them, commending them, you are rich. Now, let me also make a few other comments. Smyrna, the meaning of the word Smyrna is myrrh. So if you look at myrrh, myrrh has a bitter taste to it. If you taste myrrh, it's bitter. Myrrh has a bitter taste to it. But myrrh was, had some great practical use as far as biblical usages. So myrrh had the property to preserve and so it was used to embalm the dead. If you look at John chapter 19, verse 39, you'll see that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea brought great amounts of myrrh. I guess in their minds, let's embalm the body of Jesus and keep it as long as we can. Because they didn't yet understand that in three days' time, Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. So myrrh had this preservative ingredient in it that they used for embalming the dead. Myrrh was also fragrant. And so they used it as perfume. You'll see that in Psalms where the bridegroom is, you know, myrrh is poured on the bridegroom or the bride in Song of Song. So it is used as perfume. But also, and this is important, myrrh was one of the ingredients of the holy incense. And so the reason why, myrrh was fragrant. And so whenever they burned incense before the Lord, you will smell the myrrh going up to the heavenlies. So, why am I t talking to you about this? I see a correlation between myrrh and suffering. Suffering leaves a bad taste in the mouth, doesn't it? Nobody who is suffering doesn't feel the bitter taste that suffering brings with it. And I look at Job and I see how he handled the bitter taste of suffering. And I just want to very quickly comment on that. It's in your notes. But you will look at it when Job is experiencing this immense suffering in his life. And all you have to do is to read the book of Job. You very quickly get into the suffering that this man experienced. But you see in chapter 7, his words, look at the language that comes out of this man who's struggling with suffering. And he's talking to God. 
And in Job chapter 17, he says, I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. So the language there, you can hear the sound of bitterness that suffering is leaving in his mouth. And so he's complaining to God. He's being honest with God. And the words that are coming out is, I'm bitter. My soul is bitter. Then as you read on, in chapter 13, you hear a shift in his language. And he says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. I don't know what you're up to, God. I don't know what you're trying to do here. But I know one thing. I have no option. I will still trust you. And then you see him move as he continues in this dialogue with God. As he continues in this conversation with God. You see it in chapter 19 where Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. Can you see the movement that happened in this man's life? Suffering left a bitter taste. But as he continued to just wait on God, and as he conversed with God, and there was this conversation, honest conversations with God, you could see the language shift to a point where he says, I know, I know you got this, God. I know you got this. I don't know how this is going to end, but I know in the end, I'll see you. So the suffering and poverty experienced by the church in Smyrna didn't make them bitter as it could have, but it produced in them a richness that preserved their faith. Their testimony went up to God as incense of worship, and their testimony centered the environment around them with a good testimony of the church. So I want to look at Three lessons that I want to draw from this passage of scripture. Lessons from the suffering church. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is the relationship of suffering with poverty. Suffering and poverty. And let me say this. Suffering brings with it some form of impoverishment in the area it, rep- it presents itself in our lives. When you're suffering physically, you can see that you start breaking down physically. And there's this weakness or there's this pain. And sometimes you cannot even function because of the breakdown that you're going through in the suffering of your body. So suffering tends to bring impoverishment in the area it presents itself. Paul described it this way. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 10. We are pressed on every side by troubles but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. What was he saying? He's saying, I can see the suffering, that ongoing suffering that's happening to me, being pressed being perplexed, being hunted down. But I know that when this suffering comes to me, it can overwhelm me. It can impoverish me in these areas. It can cause these areas where I'm potentially being impoverished. I can end up feeling crushed, end up feeling 
in despair. I can end up feeling that God has abandoned me. But he's saying, I'm not going to allow that to happen. So he recognizes that suffering has a potential to impoverish us in the areas where suffering is happening in our lives. And so I want to talk to you about how you can actually focus and not allow suffering to impoverish us. And the way we do that, Jesus gives us that hint. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. And so the call in the midst of suffering, and as you see the poverty around that area of suffering in your life, is to focus on your spiritual wealth. James chapter 2 verse 5. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? What is James trying to say? James is saying that in the midst of your suffering, you see the poverty in that area of your life. Relook at it again. Take a look at that area that you feel that you are being impoverished because of your suffering. Look at it again and you will find the faith that God is building in that very area of your life. He's saying to them, look, it is the poor in this world that are rich in faith. It is the poor in the world. I don't know which area of your own life you're feeling impoverished right now because of suffering. I'm saying to you, take a look at it again, and you will find God working in that area of your life that that is probably the most spiritually rich area of your life because God is working in and through you in your suffering. Look at the areas suffering has affected you, whether it's physical, whether it's mental, whether it's financial, whether it's in the area of relationships. You will find that in those areas, those are the areas God has enriched you in. He chooses the poor to be rich in faith. So when faced with suffering, focus on the work God is doing in you to develop and strengthening that area of faith in your life. Don't look at your impoverished state. Look at your spiritual wealth. See how he sees you. You are rich. Second area, suffering and persecution or suffering and opposition. Jesus goes on to tell them, I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Now let me say this first. It's very important for us as we read this that we do not see this, that Jesus is attacking the Jewish race. In fact, Jesus is very clear here. It's not the Jewish race or it's not Israel that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about groups of people under this system of religion that are persecuting the church. And he calls it the synagogue of Satan. And then you later you will see, he says, the devil will throw you. You see in verse 10, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison. Now, let's be honest. It's not going to be this guy in a red suit with a black cape with two horns and uh, you know, holding a spear with a three-pronged spear coming and dragging people into prison. It was human beings who were doing that. 
But what was Jesus trying to teach the church in Smyrna? Jesus was teaching them to separate the evil that's going on with the human element that are being used against them. Why was Jesus doing that? If you think that human beings who are persecuting us as our enemies, and if we see them as the ones who are persecuting us, and it's hard to follow and obey Jesus who taught us to pray for those who persecute us. How can I pray for somebody who I think is evil? What's the point of praying for somebody who is evil? They're not going to change. But the reason why Jesus taught us to pray for those who persecute us is the potential for change in their lives. And so Jesus was separating the two. There is the demonic element that's using men and women as human elements to persecute. And then there's the human actors who actually need our prayers. In two weeks' time, Stephanie Johnson will be here. And she's going to talk to us and update us about the persecuted church around the world. Why does she come to talk to us about it? So that we can pray. But how do you pray when you feel that those who are persecuting our brothers and sisters are inherently evil? You can't pray unless you separate the two. The demonic forces that are using actors to persecute the church and the people who are being used ignorantly to persecute the church. And so Jesus was teaching them to separate the two. And so I say this, when suffering from opposition or persecution, remember this, we do face opposition, but it is coming from the evil one. And so as you go through your suffering, as you go through persecution or opposition, remember this, Satan's power is limited. Matthew 10, 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. They cannot touch your soul. This is something that is very clear in scriptures. There is, there is this, this divide that God has limited that no evil can touch your soul. And it was clear in Job's life too. And it is going to be clear for you. No one, nothing can touch my soul. Because that belongs to God. And that's eternal. Is this making sense? So the devil is limited in his power. He cannot touch our souls. God, on the other hand, has unlimited power. And so the Apostle Paul, in and through his sufferings, he comes in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and listen to this boasting about God that he says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. Interesting, isn't it? He's not saying, I think so. I guess so. The preacher said so. He's saying, we know. He is certain beyond all shadow of doubt. We know that God causes everything. Not some things, not a few things, everything. We know that God causes everything to work together for good. In the midst of your suffering, in the midst of opposition and persecution, let us remember this one thing. The devil has limited power, 
But God has unlimited power. And we must be able to stand firm and say this. We know God causes everything to work together for good. So when facing suffering caused by opposition and persecution because of your faith, separate the demonic from the human elements of persecution. Resist the devil. Pray for those who persecute us. Remember, the devil has limited power. Focus on the unlimited power of God. All things will work out for good. Finally, the third lesson I want to draw from this passage. Suffering and fear. Verse 10, Jesus says to the church, Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Did you see that phrase, 10 days? Now, if Jesus tells me, you're going to suffer for 10 days, I can handle 10 days. But how many of you know, 10 days is not really 10 days. I mean, you are going through suffering, and you know it has been longer than 10 days. I know because I'm journeying with some of you in that. It's longer than 10 days. So what was Jesus trying to say to them? I believe he was saying to them, actually compared to eternity, this is only going to feel like 10 days. But he's saying something more important. And this is a concept that I want you to hold on to as you go through your suffering. And this is the concept. While you're in the midst of suffering, remind yourself this. God has ordained an end to suffering. God has ordained an end to suffering. Listen to Matthew 24, verse 22. Unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. When I read passages like this, you know what it tells me in the midst of our suffering? It tells me we are not the only ones going through the suffering. It affects God as well. It affects him that his elect, his loved ones, his beloved are going through suffering. And there's going to come a point when God will say, enough is enough. I've had enough of this. My daughter, my son is not going to suffer anymore. And he says, because of the elect, God will shorten it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. When fear is present in our suffering, and it will be there, remember, suffering has a shelf life. God has stamped a use-by date on it. I know you look around, you can't find the date. It would be helpful if you could find the date. It was printed somewhere that you could see, by December 2021, my suffering will be over. It would be very helpful, Lord. But I want you to know this. God has stamped a use-by date on your suffering. It will come to an end. It is not forever. 
So don't focus on the worst case scenario that sometimes we tend to do. Don't focus on impending doom that sometimes suffering can lead us to. But focus on your coming deliverance. In a little while, he will restore. He will support. He will strengthen. He will establish. So in closing, let me say these few words. When faced with suffering, don't focus on the impoverishing effect it is having on you. Tap on your kingdom wealth and your kingdom inheritance. When faced with persecution, separate the demonic from the human elements. Bless those who persecute you. Resist the devil. His power is limited. Tap on the unlimited power of the God you worship. When faced with fear in the midst of your suffering, remind yourself, suffering has a shelf life. This too will pass. God has appointed a time for this to end. Let me leave with you a practical prayer. I think it gathers these three thoughts in this one prayer. I call it the prayer for the suffering saint. It's really the prayer of Jabez. In 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10. I went through a season, very difficult season, where it was just a painful period of my life. And this prayer, I used to just repeat it again and again. Sometimes minute by minute, but I kept on praying this prayer. And so I recommend this prayer in the midst of your suffering. Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. And God granted him his request. So if you look at it, it encompasses everything I've been talking to you about this morning. Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. What are you doing? You're tapping on this wealth and inheritance that belongs to you. Some people tell me, it's quite selfish for me to pray for my blessings. No, it's not. It's your inheritance. God has given this to you. In fact, I believe God requires you to tap on his blessings so that you will be blessed. So in the midst of your suffering, would you please cry out to God and say, oh, that you would bless me and oh, that you will expand me and my territory. Tap on the wealth and inheritance God has given you. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. What are you focusing on? You're focusing on the unlimited power of God. God be with me because you are powerful because you are going to speak into it and all good things will come from you. Finally, and God will grant me my request. What is that saying? That's saying, you remind yourself, suffering has a shelf life. 